No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us here at the Sound Logic Podcast. Today, we're discussing album number five on Rolling Stone Magazine's 2020 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. This is Abbey Road by The Beatles. There was once a time when the top five contained three albums by The Beatles, Mm -hmm. and none of them were Abbey Road. That's right. Here it stands alone uh, with (laughs) all those other albums uh, way in the distance. Yeah. Um, This is this is a strange journey to sort of go through a top 10 and not just have every other album be by the Beatles. Um, So, yeah, I don't don't know. What are your thoughts on this uh, revamped uh, exclusion of the Beatles here at the top? Right. Well, I'm happy to share them. Uh, Some, (laughs) some quick, some quick stats here. So uh, on the last list, the 2012 list, Abbey road was the fifth best Beatles album. There were four Beatles albums in the top 10. Abbey Road was not one of them, but it came shortly after at number 14. Uh, We had to get through Sgt. Pepper's, Rubber Soul, Revolver, and the White Album, and then got to Abbey Road. Um, I like most of those other albums. I'm not a, I'll say it right now, I'm not a fan of the White Album. I, uh, Hadn't heard it before we reviewed it. I listened to it. I didn't love it. Um, I love the Beatles. I think they're fantastic. But I didn't love Abbey Road. I love uh, all of their other albums uh, that I've listened to. And I've listened to most of them, including the other three that I mentioned. However, although I was a little surprised to see Sgt. Pepper's disappear, I was not surprised and was very delighted to see Abbey Road come up. It has become, uh, I think Revolver is still my favorite Beatles album because I've been listening to it for so long. But Abbey Road, I had not listened to for whatever reason. And it is a very, very close second for me personally. I love Abbey Road. It is so well put together. It was kind of like they just, pun intended, they just decided to come together (laughs) (laughs) um, right at the end of their career as a band and put together an absolute masterpiece it is a delight to listen to when you get to side two and the last five songs are just all together as kind of this opus it's it's amazing and for whatever reason not so much thematically as some of the albums we've just talked about that have moved up like what's going on and songs in the key of life i think are really relevant in terms of what's happening in the world right now. I wouldn't say that necessarily about Abbey Road. However, I think the songs are so iconic and people seem to be, I think, are latching onto them a little more hmm. than some of the songs from mm-hmm. the other albums. I And I don't even know where I'm pulling that from. It's just a feeling I get. Um, I think you could almost, and I wouldn't put any stock in this, but you could almost... Uh, make an argument that the album cover, the artwork alone, uh, makes this 
album more sought after i think <laughs> even even if you even if you just i think even the art alone could cause someone to go and see what's this all about yeah um yeah. seeing the picture seeing it parodied a million times people going and visiting that that spot in england and taking pictures there maybe you have a friend who goes there and you go you google it and you go oh, i'm gonna listen to that it would not shock me at all if people are going on to spotify or youtube or whatever and listen to this album just because they saw the picture. I would not yeah. be shocked at all. And I bet you that's happening. So um, that's that's what I think about it. I'm delighted. I think it's great. I, th- I You could make a, a an argument, um, and I would be on board to say that this is the best Beatles album ever. Um, uh, what, what do you, how do you feel about this? I think in our conversation uh, just a, a little while ago with Brad, we talked about this list has a lot more polished and produced albums near the top, especially from some of these mm. classic artists. Mm-hmm. And Abbey yes, Road is an example of that. It it definitely sounds like it fits in a more modern era um, yeah, from a studio quality than some of the other earlier uh, Beatles albums do. Mm-hmm. And even some of their more experimental ones do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it fits, I think with this list. Well, I, I do have some sadness that we, we saw some of our heroes get knocked down here and the, and the Beatles are probably my, one of my favorites from that sort of classic grouping of, of artists, classic uh, rockers and, um, and sort of pillars of rock and roll. And um, so I do have some, some mixed feelings, but I think Abbey Road is probably my favorite album too. And so um, of the, of their career. Uh, And so I, I feel some, I guess, uh, uh, appreciation that it that is also risen to the top of this list, um, right? And uh, yeah, I think this is a an appropriate album to be the top choice for the Beatles. Uh, and yeah, a top ten list that is made up of te- ten different artists, I think, is probably a better thing. Yes, uh, in yep. terms of you know, um, fairness is the wrong word, but sort of holistic holistically looking at music rather than just saying like these are the greatest sort of late sixties rock and roll groups and they deserve the upper tier. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm mixed feelings, but I'm happy to see this here. Yeah. That's a good point, Ben. And even when we talked for the last time, I said, well, I really like the Beatles and I think they have some of the greatest albums ever, but uh, don't you think there should be more diversity in the top 15 <laughs> right. albums? Right. We said that last time. And like, like I said yeah. before, I really think that that 2012 list and 2013 list was looking backwards. What, 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 what built up, what is the history of rock and roll here and what's some of the important albums in the history. And I think that this list this 2012 500 list says, um, what is the story of the music of today? Right. Right. Not only what's a history lesson, but how did we get here and what are the artists that influence the artists that influenced today's. I think that that's what takes some of the top spots. So So we'll just have to grit our teeth and wait six albums instead of waiting two or three albums to get to the next one at number 11 when we finally get to Revolver. Revolver. I love that (laughs) album too. Um, So as we mentioned before, we we have reviewed this already because it was number 14. We had a special guest, uh, my... At the time, my sister's uh, boyfriend and my friend, Ryan Drudge, uh, he joined us. Uh, now, since that time, um, he and my sister have uh, they bought a house together. Uh, they're ex- 
expecting a baby next year, so I don't really call him my sister's boyfriend anymore. He's he's brother-in-law now. So uh, my family member, my brother-in-law, Ryan Drudge, joined us. Um, it's one of his very favorite albums of all time, as you'll hear him talk. And we really wanted to get him because he has a tattoo of the album cover across his back. So wow. we thought we got we to gotta have this guy on board. So uh, we hope that you'll uh, listen to that. Uh, we hope you'll join us again. Ben, what do we got coming up next time on our podcast? Yeah, we have the first appearance from a band from the 90s. Nirvana's Nevermind makes an appearance at number six. So we hope you join us next time when we go through that one. Um, but stick around, hang with us, and uh, enjoy our review of Abbey Road in just a little bit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone. We are glad you're here with us. Today, we are discussing album number 14 from Rolling Stone's greatest albums of all time. That is Abbey Road by The Beatles. And we're so happy to be back together. So great to hear you again, Ben. And we have a special guest with us today. Special guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Ryan. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I kind of left that hanging there. Yeah, brush, brush off the cobwebs. That's right. <laughs> Ryan, how do you introduce yourself uh, when people ask you who you are? Oh, I, I don't like to talk about myself very much, so I usually just see, leave it pretty simple. <laughs> I'm Ryan. <laughs> I like it. Hang out with me for a bit and you'll uh, get to know more. And we are about to. We're going to do that. Yeah, so the Beatles, um, they've come up a time or two on this list. Yeah, this is the fifth album we're discussing by the Beatles. We're only at 14 and they've already had five, so... Obviously, they're significant. Before we get right into Abbey Road, we like to ask our guests, Ryan, do you have any prior experience with the top 500 lists on Rolling Stone? Had you read it before? Were you familiar with it? Or is it kind of brand new to you? Um, my only experience so far with this, actually, I, a friend of mine has the poster of the list. Oh, cool. And I've briefly looked at it and kind of done what you guys do. Like, well, that one, I went to put that one there. That one's way too low. That one's way too high. Yeah, I, may, I maybe spent five minutes total with that list. <laughs> and then, other than that, it's just listening to this podcast. Oh, thank you. You get to journey through with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the answer is yes for both of you. But um, Ryan, we know you've listened to the album and and you have another connection to the album we'll get to that ben had you listened to this album before yeah this is a part of uh you know this has come up numerous times but right when i watched the beatles anthology i felt like i needed to 
go back and listen to all their music. So I downloaded all the albums, including Abbey Road. So, yep, it's been a part of that same journey down uh, the Beatles rabbit hole that I took uh, a number of years ago. Yeah, and we knew that. And so I'm probably going to ask you that question every time we do a Beatles album, and you'll give the same answer. (laughs) I'll keep forgetting, and you'll just keep answering because you're a nice guy. Um, One of these times, I'll make up something different just to see if you're paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) No, what album? (laughs) I'm funny because there's some albums I gravitated to and I went and listened to and some I hadn't listened to. So I hadn't listened to Abbey Road, although I knew most of the songs. I had never listened to the whole album. So listening to the whole thing start to finish was uh, really a new experience for me was really great. And I always like to hear when I know a song, I like to hear kind of where it lands in the album what comes before it what comes after it how did they place it into the sequence of the rest of the songs and we know that some of these later Beatles albums are more like just compilations of songs they put together very separate from each other as opposed to some of their earlier albums which were a little more cohesive so that's always interesting to me too but I had listened to it Brian, we know you're a big fan of this album, which is why we have you here tonight. Uh, do you remember when you heard it first? Either heard a song from it or listened to the album first? I would have heard a song from it first, I'm sure. I don't have any memory of like the first time listening right, through this right. album. I, on the White Album episode, you guys talked about the White Album being that kind of iconic Beatles album that you just just by the name of it, you had to listen to it. Um, and I think that resonated with me for that album, but also for this one too. I think mm. not as much for the name, but for the cover. Yeah. Um, you, you, like you can't be alive in this world without seeing that, it seems. And, uh, and then once you see it and you identify to that picture as Abbey Road and then become a Beatles fan, it's pretty hard to stay away from it for too long but obviously uh here comes the sun the the first track on each side um side one is come together that one's played on the radio and probably in high schools and um uh, friends uh walkmans will pass it and listen to this at (laughs) mennonite youth conventions yep (laughs) and then here comes the sun um, I know it was played at your elementary school, Mike, in the morning. That's right, yeah. They played that, you know, there was a, it was kind of the announcement that the national anthem was coming up. So if you were, you know, getting ready, you had to sit down. And my memory is that that was a time that we were told to sit down and just read our books. So we were waiting for the day to start, for the anthem to come on, and we would be reading, and I have memories of just sitting in my desk reading a book, and here comes the sun. And it was, they played it to the winter. <laughs> oh. Uh, and they played it like every day. It's not like they played it, you know, every now and They played it every day for like two months. Well, so, it, it might have been dark in the winter by the time you get to school, so dark still. So. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's been such a long, long, lonely winter, you know, so like, <laughs> you hear those lyrics, and then near the end of it, you're like, oh, damn, it has been a long winter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my memory of that song, and it, it's kind of a funny one, but they, I, you know, the principal or whoever was playing that was probably a boomer who grew up with it. <laughs> so they were like, man, I just want to play the Beatles at school. 
who cares yeah. if these kids are listening to it. <laughs> and, that, and I'm funny. okay with it. I want to go back to that mention of Mennonite Youth Convention, Mike, because that came up in my mind. Was it? Was there a year in which Come Together was rewritten as sort of the, I don't know, theme song of convention? Am I misremembering that? Well, I remember because I had the t-shirt and the name of the 97 convention in Orlando was Come Together. And they had this sort of cheesy, you know, over overdub is the wrong word. What's the word I'm looking for? It was a parody. A parody, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, as we gather twice a day to the big kind of group worship session or teaching session or whatever it was where everyone came together, uh, pun intended, <laughs> uh, the band would play, you know, a bunch of different songs, but they always played Come Together and they changed the lyric to come together right now in Jesus name oh, <laughs> oh my <laughs> um, those were always the most cringe worthy things when they <laughs> they'd rewrite a pop song to fit the theme the theme yeah and and yeah. then verses they actually during the week and this was kind of cool they rewrote some of the verses you know about different groups who would travel from different places you know because even the song talks about some geographical places in the beatles version so uh they did that and they started adding verses throughout the week which was kind of cool you know you might see the name of your group or something they had all these different names so it was kind of a song they used to gather everyone together and also highlight some of the different people so it was fun, and you know, we thought it was great. I mean, I thought everything that you know incorporated something to do with our religion at the time was awesome. I have a slightly different feeling about <laughs> that reappropriation now, but uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. But sometimes I hear that lyric in, in my brain when I'm singing the song, and I kind of want to just turn it off, but I can't. <laughs> well, you know, I had that same reaction this week. I was thinking, like, why does "Come Together" just seem like something uh, old white people uh, tried to keep making cool, like a song, um, you know, played over and over at a political campaign or something. And then I had that memory of convention. It was like, oh, there's something in that memory that has messed the song up too, where I can't hear it for just itself anymore. It's <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been taken over by something else in my life, and I feel that way about lean on me because there's a, uh, you know, there's always a local artist that, you know, when the set list is not going so well, they'll just play that and everyone will put their arms around each other. And it just feels like, I don't know. It's an automatic win. It's an automatic win. It's like past it's past itself. It's, it means something more than, and, uh, I don't know why I come together. I think it's because of convention, but come together gave me that same feeling. Uh, during this really intense listen that I've given it over the last week or two. Uh, can I do an aside here? Oh, we love asides. Please, we love those. Did you both hear about Yo-Yo Ma playing uh, a concert at the border, the U.S.-Mexico border? No. You'll have to fact check this as well, but I think the idea was to to break the border with music. So he didn't say anything, um, just set up his cello and played right at the border and people from both countries could listen. Like it's a kind of a unifying, um, using art. So sound wins. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Huh. That's, that's sound wins. Yeah. Coming together. I love that. That's cool. I, I had not heard. Have you heard of that, Ben? No. It, it While we were in Arizona um, for our, I led a spring break trip to look at border and immigration issues. We learned about a group that does a potluck periodically where they sort of push two tables up to the fence and they pass food through the, through the wall. Cause it's kind of got okay. slots in it. Uh, you know, in the same way of saying like, you know, the wall divides us, but food can pass through and we're going to share, we're going to share That's this cool. even if we can't be together. Well, look, and it looks like Ryan, this event you're talking about just happened a few days ago. Yeah. So it's very new. Wow. Oh, that's neat. That's really neat. Yeah. Greatest side. Keep them coming. (laughs) Um, But I'll get us back on track a little bit. So we talked about kind of our experience with the album. Let's go through a few details. Ben, you need like a detail sound or a little three second song. Details, 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 details. Sure. That'll do for now. (laughs) Okay. So this album was released. September 26, 1969. And Ryan and I were talking about this earlier. This, the interesting thing here is that this was released before Let It Be, but Let It Be was recorded before Abbey Road. Yes. So in a sense, this is their last album um, because it is the last album they recorded. So that's kind of interesting. And because as we'll, discuss it ends with the song the end mm-hmm. so kind of it's kind of symbolic there and kind of interesting and i think ryan it's one of the reasons you kind of have gravitated to this album is kind of their last is their swan song yeah this was yeah. written like many of the other albums by lennon mccartney except something and here comes the sun by george harrison which i think are two of the stronger songs on the album and i love harrison songs and uh, Ringo Starr wrote Octopus's Garden because he likes to write about songs that take place underwater. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this album charted number one in both the U.S. and the U.K. Sales to date are north of 16 million, which is impressive and interesting that, again, I know sales don't dictate where it is on this list, but some of the albums we talked about have done, you know, maybe 1 million, 2 million. And then we have at 14, possibly the second or third greatest selling Beatles album. I think Sgt. Pepper's is around 19 million. And I can't remember White Album, but I think it's less than this. So, uh, again, just a massively successful album in terms of sales. And then, of course, one thing we really want to talk about, Ryan, you've already touched on this, is the album cover. Now, Ryan... This album cover is very special to you, and it's so special, in fact, that you've decided to put it permanently on your body. <laughs> yes. I really want to hear about the story there and how you came to do that. Yeah, well, I was um, 18 years old, and a bunch of friends were getting tattoos, and I wanted one as well. <laughs> but I luckily, I uh, I didn't want to just put anything on my body. I actually went with a friend once who flipped through one of those books and picked one. Oh, wow. And I thought, like, well, there's, there's gotta be a better way to do that. <laughs> it's going to be on your body for the rest of your life. So, um, I didn't really think about it much again after that for a while, but, um, 
so I guess when I was 15, I started listening to the Beatles. Um, so my family, like men's, I guess, we listened to records in the house, but they were all Christmas music or Christian music. Nothing else. Not, nothing else was allowed in the house, right. except um, my mom had listened to the Beatles growing up because it, being in the States um, and a teenager at the time when they came from the UK, it was uh, unavoidable. <laughs> so Even for that Mennonites. Was allowed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so that was allowed in the house. And so I just, I, I started buying CDs and really enjoying it. And obviously I listened to a lot of other music outside of the house, but this one just stuck inside and outside of the house. And I quickly got to the point where I wanted to consume as much of the music and as much of the um, interviews they did and the work outside of the albums, um, the little TV shows they did or music videos and live concerts, everything. I just wanted to see everything that the Beatles had to do with. Um, and then through that, I started researching um, the history behind the albums. And uh, I, I actually forgot almost everything I learned back then. Um, <laughs> by this age, that was half my life ago. And so I, I remembered the feelings I got about this album, but I didn't remember why I felt that. And then in researching for this episode, I, I, I kind of rewoke that. And one of the things must have been that I knew at the time that this was the last album recorded by them, the last time they were all in the studio together. And something about the medley of songs on the second half of the B-side, um, they're all unfinished songs by the songwriter's um, standard. And they're from previous albums. They didn't make the cut on previous albums and they just put them together and it still worked beautifully somehow. <laughs> and it finishes on the song, the end and um, the lyric in that song, the only lyrics are, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And I just thought that was a really good message to kind of finish my um, like Beatles consumption on that when they went, they went sky high and they crashed down to rock bottom and they still finished their last album on those lyrics. Yeah. I thought that was a really meaningful thing to take from, from all of that. Um, and then with all the, the, fan mythology behind the album cover with the Paul is dead thing. I always found that kind of comical as well. When um, something so innocent by the band or by the author, or by the poet can become some massive story. Um, I found that kind of interesting as well. So Absolutely. I, I thought I'd do it on my back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you chose your back so, rather than your rear end, which uh, do you want to say anything about yeah. putting th that the end on the back? And, no, just kidding. <laughs> well, I will admit I have a tattoo on my rear end. Oh, well. wow. <laughs> it, it's my uh, college band's 
logo. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, I can't. I don't know how to follow that. Up. Is this the most iconic album cover ever? To me, it is. Tattoo worthy, huh? You know, just in case you're listening to this and you know you don't know how to use Google, uh, this cover is the four members walking across the crosswalk at Abbey Road and they're you know it's just looking down the street and the four of them walking they're all mid stride they're all wearing very different outfits I always thought it was interesting that Paul had no shoes on and I'm sure you have some tidbits about that but it's you know people go there Mm -hmm. uh, every day there's a plaque there now and people replicate this and take a picture of it and frame it and put it up in your house i've seen that <laughs> there must be hundreds and hundreds of people there every day just to this spot and this is unique and, and we'll keep talking about it but this is unique because so many other album covers it's not really a specific geographical place maybe it was in a studio or you know there's not much background this is a place that exists that is easy to find yeah. if you're in the area that you can go to and be, I'm in the place where this album cover w- was shot. So that makes it very unique and iconic outside of just the fact that it's a really neat photo. Um, but yeah, Ryan, why don't you give us some background on some of the mythology and tidbits around this cover? Okay. So as I was saying before, they were kind of, um, there was turmoil in the studio, the Abbey road studio. They, they didn't really like to be in the studio at the same time as each other. Um, especially I think John and the others from what I, what, from what I read, but they were scheduled to fly to uh, Nepal or China or somewhere and take a picture with Everest in the background. And the album was to be called Everest again, Anyone can fact check this. This is just what I researched um, 16 years ago. <laughs> um, and But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to make that trip. They wanted just to get something shot quick and easy. Um, they didn't even want to finish recording some of the songs that were only uh, 20, 20 seconds long. So they ended up, someone suggests, let's just go outside and take a picture on the road. So I think they did, it does look like they dressed up a little, put a little effort into it um, and went outside the studio and shot this cover. Um, And one thing I really like about it is the sun, it's a beautiful sunny day and the sun is directly on them, as you can tell by their shadows in the back. And I really like, there's a man by the police van just kind of looking over like, what are those guys yeah. doing? And then another group of three on the other side of the road a bit a bit further down, and they're, they kind of were looking over curiously as well for the mythology behind it. Um, so the first thing is what they're wearing. This is what people have read into to play into the Paul being dead story. Um, John is wearing, he's first. He's wearing all white, um, which I think traditionally in some countries um, is what they would wear to a funeral, white, especially the mourner who would be at the front. Um, And then some people have said he's representing the angel of death. (laughs) 
Uh, Ringo is next. He's wearing all black. He's said to be representing the priest or minister at the funeral. Paul is dead. He's next. He's barefoot, and he's out of stride with the other three. He's the only one with his right foot forward. Everyone else on the left. Oh, wow. And he's left-handed, but he's smoking a cigarette with his right hand. Um, So the story goes, they held a a, a Paul lookalike contest after he died, and they found a lookalike to replace him in the Beatles. And people say that the new Paul was learned to play a left-handed bass, but still smoked cigarettes with his right hand. (laughs) Personally, I just would assume that the um, that's on the side that the photograph was being taken from, so he put it in his right hand. And then George last wearing all denim, he's the undertaker um, following to bury the body. The working class. Yeah, the work, representing the working class. Um, and then there's other things like the, um, the license plate with the white Volkswagen Beetle as the number 28 on it, which is the age he would have been when he died. Um, then the police van is, with the man looking, is said to represent um, them paying off the authorities to keep it quiet that he died. <laughs> and then on the back of the album, um, written on the uh, brick wall, it says, um, th- does it say the Beatles, Abbey Road? The Beatles. Abbey Road. And then there's a woman in a blue dress. Out of focus, kind of yeah. right up the yeah. edge. Yeah. Blurred, which is the uniform that a meter maid might have worn at that time in England. And that's said to be lovely Rita <laughs> um, fleeing the scene of the accident after Paul was distracted by her and crashed his car. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's, it's all a little far-fetched, but that's what people have come up with and it, it created enough um, intrigue for me to ink it on me. (laughs) It's uh, it's impressive for a number of reasons. Um, It looks so casual for something that was most likely, you know, at least quasi staged. Um, And, and the reason that I am impressed by the way that it looks is because I've tried to, duplicate it <laughs> uh i mean you you mentioned ryan that that people visit there all the time and and take pictures and every staged image i've ever seen of it looks awkward it looks like people are trying to catch their stride in the right spot rather than just walking and having everything work out perfectly um, and so it looks like either you know the rear foot is like fully on the ground and or the front foot's like hovering in the air like it, it just looks like they're trying yeah to get the pace proper um and it looks staged and this does not this this album cover looks like four people crossing the street just caught at the exact perfect moment where sort of their heels and toes are are exactly so um and yeah isn't it kind of like their music as well um they just kind of nailed it right right nonchalantly making it look nonchalant I guess or effortless Um, of course no one can replicate this they just yeah they just kind of 
it worked accidentally seemingly so yeah yeah it's amazing and um it's amazing for for a whole host of reasons we should we'd be uh remiss if we didn't say this is their only cover that doesn't say um the band's name or the title of the album prominently somewhere right. yes um i noticed that as well it doesn't say the beatles or abbey road or anything on it and yeah it's just a really it's really it's really well done i don't know if it's um the what was the question you asked originally, Mike? Is it the most iconic album cover of all time? Yeah, and and I would challenge you and say, what album cover is more iconic? Well, I don't know that I have a, a, anything that comes to mind right away, and so perhaps that means you're right. Um, <laughs> but I'm not even sure if it's their most iconic album cover of all time. I think the... Well, I don't know. I think Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album would be perhaps more recognizable than than this one, or at least as recognizable as this one to the general public. No, nope. nobody's making wax figures and uh, trying to replicate the. That, that's <laughs> true. That's Peppers. true. They're like photo. Um, and may, well, that, maybe that says more about this is. This feels attainable. Yes. People can simple. people yeah. can visit, people can mimic, and you can't do that with well, I mean, I'm making the white album right now, but um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that one we can all do. And that, well, especially <laughs> if you have an embossing uh tool set. Sergeant yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper's if you're getting into the Beatles and you hear that there's an album called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, just what is that? Yeah. I got to yeah. hear what that is. So that's got a very iconic name, but as far as the photograph, the actual imagery on the cover, this is just so simple to look at, know what it is. It doesn't need the title or the band's name on it. And any Beatles fan knows exactly what it is, even right. if they've never seen it before. So yeah, I agree. I think it's the simplicity of this that, that makes it so special. Uh, in the same way that the complexity of the Sgt. Pepper's album cover makes that special. Yeah. And it's funny thinking about the Paul is dead thing. We talked about that. Paul has a patch on his shoulder on that, that says soapy P, which is a gift he got, but then that was uh, supposed to be officially pronounced. Was it supposed to be Paul, officially pronounced Paul? <laughs> no. Some, something to do with lending to the theory of Paul being dead. I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was supposed to be OPD, officially pronounced dead, and that was supposed to be similar to that. But I think that's a bit of a stretch again. But people, I guess, will use anything to try and support that theory. What do you want to do with the track list here this time around, Mike? Well, part of me wants to talk about every single track, <laughs> uh, but... I don't, I don't think we'll do that. And what we usually do here is we talk about some of our favorites. Ryan, I feel like if I asked you to talk about your favorites, you'd talk about probably almost all of them. Um, I do find it maybe important to refer... Ooh, I don't know which ones they are officially, but they refer to, on the original album, um, on, on the track list on the original album, as the last six songs, not including Her Majesty... They refer to that as the medley. Okay. 
because they they're kind of incomplete songs thrown together in a medley. So you could mention that <laughs> if you. Well, I think I think what's important here, and especially having listened to the record with you, I think what's on each side is important mm-hmm. for this album. Mm-hmm. Side one starts with Come Together and ends with um, I Want You, She's So Heavy. And the way that song ends, the outro is very long, and then there's this wind in the background, and then it just cuts. It is the coldest ending to a song you have ever heard. It just, whoosh, somebody just put, push stop. And in the most, it's not like on beat. No. At any, nope. it's just like in the most harsh spot it could be. Yeah, it's very stark, very intentional, <laughs> very deliberate. Then side two starts with Here Comes the Sun, and there's... Um, four songs and then you get into that kind of medley of these songs that were not finished and they put them on here and they all kind of bleed together especially i find it's three and three yeah mean mr mustard polythene pam and she came in through the bathroom window is kind of like one movement and then golden slumbers carry that weight in the end kind of go together and carry that weight has a reprise of uh you never give me your money in it too which is a really interesting callback and kind of brings it all together so i think that in that sense there's almost three parts to this album there's side one the first part of side two and then the last six tracks which is the second part of side two it's almost like three different sections would you agree to that yeah i would agree and i would even that's that was definitely accurate while also at the same time the sides almost have the same feeling um, mirroring each other starting with the song that kind of became an instant classic come together on side one and here comes the sun on side two and then slowly getting a little more um, deep or rich or passionate um, and meaningful by the end which is I really like how that worked out as well. Well, let's start with some favorites. Ben, hmm. pick two or three of your favorites or songs that maybe in this list and just jumped out to you. Yeah, I also, I really resonate with a lot of these and it, it does feel like a bit of a challenge. I will say the ones that, that jump out to me are probably uh, I Want You and Here Comes the Sun. I think Here Comes the Sun might be my favorite Beatles song ever Ooh. and uh i'll just leave that there for now. wow uh i love statements but, like that it makes me so excited and i believe that song was recorded in the garden of eric clapton at his house i think oh. that will have to be fact checked as well but i'm i think that's the case i really like it um but and and i think I don't know. This probably shows my ignorance and how I how I ended up uh, consuming the Beatles catalog. But it wasn't until preparing for this episode that I realized the construction of, of uh, the sort of medley of songs. I'd always just sort of understood that to be similar to the White Album, kind of sort of whimsical mixed in with more serious. It has that same sort of you know if they'd spent another day working at some of these songs they could have been really great uh some of them seem sort of zany enough to 
you know, why they even get included. It, it feels similar to that, that album, which I, which I really love, um, the white album. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to, to have this little additional piece now that I know of that, that it really was kind of just a, in the same way that the white album kind of marks the beginning of the end. This is just sort of like, well, here's what we've got. No one has the energy to do much more with this. So let's just tack them all around right. together. Um, right. It, it's bittersweet and, and kind of sad in that, in that way that it's beautiful on the one hand and, and, uh, you know, I can listen to that medley of songs and just really, really enjoy it. And also it makes me feel like, come on, you guys, like put your, put your differences yeah, aside. And just finish what you started, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. Or be like the stones and never finish. <laughs> be like the stones and never just finish. Just keep playing forever. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think I find that beautiful that, like I was saying before, these dis. Well, they they flow together actually surprisingly well for being not meant to be together. Yeah, but um, these kind of like patched together songs because they couldn't stand each other, and then this beautiful message uh, in the end, and then they just leave it at that because they can't get along, and so they they leave on a the best note they could at the time. I think. Yeah with what they had. <laughs> yeah. One person that this is our fifth Beatles album, and we haven't talked about the quote fifth member of the Beatles, the man who I think is the champion of this record and many men, many others. And Ryan, I'm kind of stealing this from you because you brought it up. So George Martin as the producer, you got to know that, when they were all fighting and after they recorded and they left in a huff or whatever, he was the guy who was to put it all together. And what an incredible job he did between him and his team, not only piecing everything together, but mixing and all the post-production because I mean, maybe there's somebody who knows, we don't know exactly how much involvement the Beatles had in the post-production. I don't know. I haven't done enough research to say for this album or any of the others how much they had, but I want to assume that it was George Martin and whatever people he had working with him. And they did such a tremendous job to pull kind of the creative out of the members who were not operating as a team. And then they put everything together to give us an incredible album. I think tons of credit is due to George Martin and the people he had with him. If you want to see a master at work, um, I think it's on YouTube. It is Jim Carrey singing I Am the Walrus to a completely new um, musical production of it with an orchestra and everything. And George Martin is, um, again, I haven't watched this in 14 years, so I'm pretty sure this is accurate. But <laughs> yeah, he just, he's, he's acting as a conductor in front of a symphony orchestra and he's getting everything he wants out of Jim Carrey, just every little bit of passion he can give. He just, you can see him just draw it out of him, and it's, <laughs> if, if you can picture that happening back on some of these songs, he, I think he really had a gift on um, getting the best out of people. Or, wow. I, have, I was a pretty big Jim Carrey fan in the 90s, and I've never heard of that. <laughs> 
It's pretty funny too because it's Jim Carrey and yeah. he's got all the goofy faces he does. He gets really into characters. <laughs> Have to check that out. Uh, what do you about you guys? So, there a couple songs that jump out as your favorite. Well, I wanna I wanna go first, and then Ryan, maybe you can fill in the holes on all the other tracks. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly, come together, and again, that moment the other day, Ryan, just turning on the vinyl and hearing "Come Together," it just it just hit something, just washed right over me with that sound. Okay, another one of my favorites is "I Want You." She's so heavy, and there's couple different things here number one it's a really really neat song it's really well put together and i love paul's bass work in this song he does a lot of different things um a lot of different techniques and the bass is really featured in some of the gaps in the song so i really really like that i can't hear the song without thinking of some of the imagery in the movie across the universe and i know i brought this up before it's a really cool movie if you haven't seen it you should check it out but it's a recruitment scene where one of the characters is being recruited for the vietnam war and he's going through the recruitment center during the song and the picture of uncle sam on the wall with i want you uncle sam kind of leans out of the the image and points towards the character and starts singing i want you so it's a it's a really cool sequence you should check it out it's a little disturbing uh, it's not graphic but it's, it's just very poignant so when i hear the song i kind of have that image and the other song that always struck me and again the, even the first note after the drums is something another Harrison track and I think this is possibly one of the best composed songs ever it is so well put together there's so many different things happening there's multiple key changes there's timing changes there's harmonies there's really neat guitar sounds there's so much happening in that song the lyric is beautiful it's a beautiful love song and I think if you were to you know, and musicians try and do this. You take all the best things about music and songwriting and jam them into one track. They did it here and they did it really well. <laughs> and I think there's other songs on this album that do that. They take all the best things about songwriting, the best things about music, and maybe even some of the advancements in technology because they were pushing the envelope on mm-hmm. this album too in terms of musical technology. I think something does that the best. And as you said here comes the sun is one of your favorite possibly your favorite beatles song and i love it too i would put something up there as well as well i don't know if i could say what my favorite beatles song is because there's so many good ones but something is way up there and it's one that i've discovered more recently it's not one that's on the it was a single i believe it was a single but it's not one that's on the radio all the time not as much as some of their other more popular ones so something I discovered more recently and that's exciting too because here comes the sun I've been listening to for over two decades Uh, but something is a song I haven't heard for that long and to find something that's new that you think is just as good as some of the other ones you've heard is really cool so those are kind of three that really jump out for me Um, are there any songs that you don't think belong here either either one of you guys could weigh in is there any song that you don't really care for or would remove i would remove octopus's garden in a heartbeat (laughs) i well now that i say that like i'm glad it's it's 
a song of the Beatles that I could hear and for that to happen I had to make it onto an album or be a single so maybe I wouldn't remove it but it's just so out of place to me on this album I wish Ringo had like his own album and <laughs> they could just put all his songs on because I, I do like them I do I have listened to them just as much as other ones they just they're just kind of uh, jarring and kind of when you put an album on to listen to it start to finish and you like come together and something just get you into that zone where you kind of forget about everything <laughs> else in your mind and you're just there with the music and then Octopus's Garden comes on and just kind of snaps me out of it for a bit and I kind of put that on pause until it, you come back into the next song. So. Kind of interesting to have it between Oh Darling and I Want You. It's almost like comic relief. Yeah. Because yeah. those are, uh, no pun intended here, those are heavier songs yeah. and a little deeper and you've kind of got this very jovial, playful almost juvenile too uh -huh. in between but yes I, I agree with you on that it was it because of uh you know our <laughs> our childhoods had Ringo Starr as the conductor <laughs> on Shining Time Station right like yeah. so uh, it you know I don't know what that does to cloud our understanding of Ringo but it makes his childhood whimsy on some of these songs like Octopus's Garden or Yellow Submarine, it's even, even, even that much more juvenile. Uh, I could also do without Octopus's Garden. It's, it's a neat song. It just, it, and I think this is true of all the Ringo tracks throughout the entire Beatles canon. They never seem to fit with the rest of what's going on. And that's not to say they aren't good songs, because like I was saying, right. I'm glad I got to experience that song as many times as I did, but yeah, just, <laughs> maybe there could have been a different way. I don't know. Just misses the mark. And Mike, you kind of candidly, you know, made a side reference to Ringo likes being under the sea for some reason. Do we know what the deal is there? Like, you know, is this building on Yellow Submarine, or uh, is there is there any fan fiction, Ryan, for why we've got two underwater songs from Ringo? Uh, I think there is some inspiration on both of these that he's talked about I can't think of it offhand but I think there might be something there yeah trying to act naturally sorry couldn't resist um, okay well Ryan what else do you have for us here on, on any of these tracks you know I know you've done a lot of research. Uh, any other favorites or any other kind of special details on these? In Maxwell Silver Hammer, there's a point. That this song is a pretty silly song, um, even though it's describing a very kind of serious idea, which is when things feel like they're really going your way, all of a sudden Maxwell Silver Hammer comes down on your head. Um, but it's still got a kind of a silly feel to it. And there's a point in this song where... Um, Paul, while doing the vocals, laughs during it. Uh, there's just a little, yeah. a little nose chuckle, and that just makes me smile every single time I hear it. I, I am anticipating it now every time I listen to that song, and I just love that. Yeah, I think Paul kind of has this positive. Um, he's kind of got the like doughy eyes and the, yeah. the childlike 
he's got something childlike about him that I really like. I've kind of explained how I like the the second side. If you haven't listened to Sun King on headphones while lying on a blanket in the sun um, in a grassy field, that's just that song's got a groove to it, unlike any other Beatles song. I really love to listen to that one. <laughs> so maybe you could try that. Is it as good as going to Joshua Tree Park and listening to the Joshua Tree? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I I didn't get into um, them as much as you guys seem to have. So tune in. Uh, yeah, like six months from now. <laughs> <laughs> Golden Slumbers carry that weight and the end. That those three songs are my favorite uh, chunk of Beatles music to listen to that they've ever released so that's that's a personal anecdote but <laughs> it's a really well constructed album we've already talked about this but not only are there really really good tracks they go together well and there's something special we talked about this ben when we talked about marvin Gaye's what go what's going on it's a whole album just kind of runs together as one big piece of different move where the songs are different movements in that album the strings really tie everything together and i like how the beatles do this or maybe more accurately george martin does this in the last six tracks kind of tie everything together it's really well done it doesn't sound gimmicky it doesn't sound forced it's very smooth and seems natural and in fact a couple things that i hadn't noticed until ryan and i listened to the album together and he pointed out i hadn't noticed paul laughing in maxwell's silver hammer and i hadn't really noticed that those last six tracks were blended together until you kind of poked that out and i i think because it's so smooth i don't remember what tracks those oh, are but yeah. there's the crickets in the end of the one song that yeah continue to play through the beginning of the next one and they're very i forget which ones there but they're 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 not meant to go together but those crickets just kind of <laughs> tie it together it's just little tricks like that that george martin did yeah here's so here's my um hunch when we did the our review of the white album uh i think i brought up that the white album may be one of the best Beatles albums had they taken the time to weed out some of the <laughs> songs that are just nonsense. And I think what Abbey Road is, is <clears throat> what the Be- what the White Album could have been if they'd spent a little bit more time fine-tuning it. But there's something else I think that's, that's different about Abbey Road, and that's that we get the band back together again. It doesn't seem... Uh, like they're off in the uh, they may have been off in the corners of the studio not talking to each other but they came together huh, that's why that song's on there isn't it they, they came together to make this album as a unit um, so it doesn't feel as um, I don't know like four solo artists playing on an album as the white album does but but there's still a lot of the similar kind of vibe and, and so it's interesting to me to hear you, Mike, say this album works so well for you when the White Album was a struggle. You know, yeah. both of them were, were albums that were new to you. Uh, one, uh, and to me, someone who's listened to them side by side for a long time, I see them both as really important and really meaningful. 
UC1 is kind of just dis- disjointed and clunky and the other is kind of a masterpiece, even though they're both unfinished and raw and and could be seen as, as a little disjointed. It's really interesting how that how that happens and maybe that's just personal preference, I don't know. I, I think it may have been, um, this is just speculation, but in what Mike was saying, the, that George Martin had to put a lot of effort into it after they recorded this. And I think there might have been a little more artist influence on the White Album. Like, I want my song in this order. I want to see yeah. vocals on this song. They they weren't in there. They weren't in the studio to, to have that input for this album like they were on that one. Um, and so I think that just did a natural kind of a good thing for this album. Um, uh, maybe a little less pride <laughs> by this point. Do you have any thoughts, Mike, as to, you know, thinking about these two, two albums together? Well, I will agree, and at least personally, I feel that the White Owl is so disjointed. There's no cohesiveness for me. There's a lot of really good songs. There's a lot of songs that I don't care for and I think don't have place there. There's a lot of kind of silly and weird songs and i don't have a problem with experimentation or things being weird or silly i mean there's silly and weird stuff here too yes but and and i'm getting to that (laughs) here and we've talked about this on different artists and different albums here it works yeah we talked about you know with pet sounds there's all sorts of weird stuff on that album different sounds and dogs barking and all sorts of stuff and it all makes sense and it all sounds yeah. really good and then you listen to highway 61 revisited by bob dylan and there's slide <laughs> whistles and all sorts of crazy crap and it just to me it makes no sense at all again with this album there was a little bit of weird stuff there's you know there's bubble sounds in octopus's garden and there's crickets but it all seems to make sense and we don't listen to it and go oh that sounds weird yeah. whereas in the white album yeah. you hear something like wild honey pie or revolution nine and it just doesn't fit for me so that was yeah. some of my struggle with the white album and again i don't know if you could rearrange the songs and it makes more sense or if you like like we've talked instead of being you know, 32 songs, you make it 15 really solid tracks. And then it's like just an amazing album. Uh, I don't know, but for Abbey road, it really, really works for me in the same way that when I listen to Sergeant Peppers and I listen to revolver and rubber soul, they all just make sense. And I struggle with the white album for that Hmm. and highway 61 revisited. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, the White Album uh, I l- probably listen to the least out of mm. any of the Beatles albums. Uh, probably for that reason, there's too many songs that I just feel like skipping. If I'm trying to listen to the album start to finish, there's some where I just completely lose <laughs> lose the will to yeah. do it. So maybe you didn't want to get up from the couch and flip the, the LP over four times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That that happens with a lot of two track, uh, records. <laughs> one side or one album is good enough. I also find this story really interesting that the, um, for the vocals on Oh Darling, um, Paul would go into the studio half an hour before everybody else. First thing in the morning 
and he would uh, not do any talking or vocal warm-ups of any kind. Um, and he would go into the studio and the first sound he would make with his vocal cords was just tearing into the lyrics of Oh Darling. And he wanted to have this wow. really raw, raspy sound, like he'd been performing this live on tour for for like months straight. And, uh, and so that's how we recorded that. And it just... It's a great story. Yeah, it, fit, it works really well with that song. I really like that story, and that is a really special vocal performance from Paul. And he has a lot of great moments throughout their discography of kind of his screaming vocal. And but on "Oh Darling," it's really unique and really pronounced and. I love how dedicated he was to that craft that he would kind of use that technique. It's really, really, really neat. Very special. Um, you know, going through the tracks, we've talked about a lot of different things in this album. Um, I want to talk about some more personal things. Uh, ben, do you have any personal memories that are tied to this album? Yeah. Um... I mentioned that when we were talking about the cover that I've actually tried to imitate the shot. It was it was during eighth grade when I and uh, previously mentioned that I performed a Beatles song in the talent show. Um, you know, we thought we were a real band, uh, at least a real Beatles cover band, and so we went outside <laughs> at recess the one day to the part of the playground that had kind of stripes on the pavement and tried to recreate this cover. I think it would be a kind of a cool band thing, and so. Um, I think we even had our, our guitar cases and some instruments with us so that we, you know, we looked even more band-like. And, uh, and all, I remember, you know, I was in the pre-digital camera days and I remember getting the film back and being like, man, all these shots kind of stink. And, uh, you know, without the, the folky neighborhood that the Beatles album cover was shot in, it just looked weird and kind of rough. Flat Goodwood playground uh, <laughs> just wasn't the same kind of backdrop. Um, so that's probably my earliest memory. I don't think I'd even listened to Abbey Road uh, at the time, but uh, my friend Leah, who was in our band, was a huge, huge Beatles fan, and she uh, showed us a picture of it or brought the album to school and said, "You got to do this for our band uh, <laughs> photo shoot." So, um, so yeah, the, in this case, the, the album's cover. Uh, was my introduction to the album and, and my earliest memory. Please tell me that you have a copy of that photo somewhere. I have no idea where those <laughs> ended up. I don't have a copy. It would have been fun to, to post that on the Sound Logic social media spaces, but maybe, maybe I need to send a, a message to the band and see if anyone's got one kicking yeah, around somewhere. Yeah, maybe somebody's got it in the archives. <laughs> right. I wrote down... Uh, well, we're about to enter our longest stretch between Beatles albums. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the next one doesn't show up for, uh, let's see here. Oh, number 39 is Please Please Me. So, you know, we're going to get uh, quite a break after having five albums in the top 14. Yeah. Um, it's going to feel like forever until we get to the next one. Is that the first early Beatles album? on the list like the first um of those kind of poppy yeah it's when they first first yep. 
<laughs> the United States. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that help would come up, but it's not until number 331, uh, <laughs> which is another disappointment that I have about the list, but we don't need to, we don't need to rag on that too much. I mean, if I made the list, uh, I think the Beatles would take the top 10 spots. <laughs> so I, I'm probably not the best uh, neutral party to make any comments on. Yeah, and they only have nine album studio play. albums, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is this album still relevant? If you were to just go into a space with a lot of you know, regular people and put this album on today, does it still make sense? Is it still something that people want to listen to? Or is it an album that we put on and we say, oh, this is such a 60s album that, you know, is for my parents or my grandparents? What do you think? Yeah, I personally think it is still relevant. There's a lot of songs on here that you could put on in a crowd and probably a lot of people would know and would sing along or dance along or smile or have a look of recognition come up on their face at least. Um, having never heard it before, if it was put on, I think there's just some really cool breakthrough. There's something special about the first time something was done. The first time some sound was created or some song was put together like that. Um, like, I think the way the album starts come together. If you put that on, I think there'd be a lot of people in that crowd that would kind of perk up and like, whoa, what is that? That's that's unique. That's cool. That's I've never heard anything like that before. And I think I think there's that's still a new thing. That come together could be something someone's heard today after listening to all the music that's come out since that song was produced. And yeah. they could still think, wow, that's unique. That's new. That's something I've never heard before. And that's, that's like the true test of timelessness in my mind. So I don't think the music sounds old. There's some, some thing you listen to from the sixties with, you know, maybe organs or other things that just sounds quote old or dated. This stuff to me doesn't sound old with the exception of because and because has some very specific uh, synthesizer on it that I think that is probably the most dated sounding in terms of instrumentation on this album. Although at the time, I think it would have been very cutting edge, <laughs> that type. But other than that song, I think you could play this. And if someone didn't know what it was, might think that it's new, like Come Together. Um, maybe not Here Comes the Sun, but Come Together is a little you know, has a little more, is a little rockier, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you could put this on and, and people would perk up no matter what their age or demographic. Ben? I think it's hard for me to, uh, imagine listening to this for the first time. Mm. Um, because even when I sat down to listen to this album for the first time, I'd heard a lot of the songs and it was just a part of the fabric of growing up and listening to radio, just radio in general. And um, I'm, I'm, remar I'm, I'm realizing, you know, now 14 albums in, the challenge in this question that we ask ourselves each time uh, depends a lot on if we've heard the album before. Uh, you know, when we discussed The Velvet Underground last week, our, our answers to this were 
quite different than the album that we're listening to right now because we'd never heard that album before and we were able to to listen to it with new ears and be able to determine our answer that way uh this is so much harder because it's because it's iconic um and i and so i think it's easier to just quickly say absolutely it holds up it stands the test of time um because it's so familiar and and i think that that's probably true you know it its longevity is why <laughs> these songs are familiar and why we hear them from a young age and can't quite place when we heard them the first time. Um, but they're also just so interwoven into the fabric of our lives that it's hard to, it's hard to really zoom back and say um, whether that's because of the nostalgia factor or because they really are like, as you said, Mike stuff that could come out today and be, be relevant. Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like I just punted that answer. It doesn't really, it's not an answer. <laughs> well, for me, I, I wasn't exposed to the Beatles until I was that prime music discovery age. And I, I was the guy that did hear the song come together for the first time, just in a vacuum and blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That was in 2001, probably. And that happened to me, and that was, oh, oh how many years after that song was recorded? Um, yeah. And I, I think that's happened to a lot of people. I know my youngest sister had a big uh, Beatles kick in her life, and that, I think it keeps happening to people. There's, mm-hmm. there's a reason this is all s- still around and so relevant. And These late Beatles albums, I think, do stand up in terms of um, not sounding as dated as the earlier recordings, uh, you know, kind of everything. Well, I don't even know where I would draw the line, but this one in particular, I guess, uh, does seem to hold up better than the earlier albums. And on that note, because I have a very, <laughs> a very specific view on this, uh, we always want to know, was the position on this list sound logic? This is number 14. Um, is this the right spot? Ryan, do you want to start? What do you think? Well, I think just the fact that this is the album that I've come to uh, co-host with you guys, it, it <laughs> should be probably no secret that uh, I think this should be number one. So you would put this number one album overall? Number one, and if I was to make a list, this would be a good starting point for me, and I'd go from there. Uh, and it probably wouldn't move from number one. Um, was number one Sergeant Pepper's? It is. See, that's the one that through the about eight to ten years where I was deep into the Beatles, I and I would ask myself which which album do I like better. I would just bounce back and forth between those two <laughs> quite often. So. I would have to put those number one and two. I wouldn't, if a list came out and Sergeant Peppers would, was first and this one next, I wouldn't be upset about it. (laughs) Either one, either one could be number one for me, but I would, I would put this one second, if not number one. Yeah. I wouldn't have a problem with that. (laughs) Um, Ben, what about you? It's definitely an album that I'm surprised is not in the top 10. Um, And, you know, in our top 10 review, we, we both had a couple of albums we were 
you know, without even really thinking about the next 10 albums, we were ready to bump them from our top 10 list. I think it'll be very easy to move this up to, into my top 10. As far as how it ranks with the other Beatles albums, I'm not sure. And I, I think similarly to, um, well, I think I spent a lot of time struggling with how to rank the four that were in the top 10. I think it'll be, it'll just add one more album to the complexity of that. <laughs> And I and I do have a lot of love for the White Album, so it doesn't feel as much as a no-brainer as I'm guessing it is for you to say, let's get the White Album out of there and put this up there. Uh, the White Album, I think, was my second favorite Beatles album of the top ten albums. And so I, I think this is probably an album I would hold right up there with the White Album. So I, I'd probably be as, I don't know, I'd be comfortable putting it all the way up into the top five. So your favorite Beatles album of the five that we've reviewed was Rebel, Rubber Soul, right? Yes, correct. Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul and then the White Album. I know you're a big fan of the White Album. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I know I said this in our reshuffle episode, but I would, to make it simple, I would just straight up swap Abbey Road with White Album on this list. Move. Okay. That's easy to do. That's yeah. easy. However, uh, I think this album deserves to be a lot higher. Uh, I don't think it should be this low. I'm, mm. I'm wondering now if, you know, when you listen to a band that has a, a fairly massive discography, right. And there's the few albums it took for them to gain their popularity. And then there's those like heavy hitters in the middle, which right. everybody knows, everybody loves. They, right. a lot of songs made the radio and then, it kind of fizzles out and by the end people aren't listening as much anymore. Like we didn't experience that with these Beatles albums, but with right. modern bands, we have experienced that the more like Weezer's and <laughs> obviously <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the quality deteriorated pretty rapidly at the end. It's pe people don't know those last albums as well. And I wonder if this generation who grew up with the Beatles and, probably had an influence in making this top 500 list if that was kind of their feeling towards this album oh like one of those kind yeah. of yeah i was at the end i wasn't i wasn't really paying it as much attention then as for these middle albums yeah i just could have been uh, and the thought that i have in my head is that there are there are beatles albums that uh, end up being the best of that Beatles era. Like I think Rubber Soul uh, rose to the top of my list because I think it's them perfecting that early Beatles sound. I think Peppers perfects the sort of experimental album sound. And I think Abbey Road kind of perfects the post-experimental era. The late, the late Beatles sound. The late Beatles yeah. sound. So it's really three kind of different and unique sounding Beatles eras that that we're talking about here and and you're right ryan maybe it's just depending on whether you rode the beatles wave at the very beginning or whether you came to them later in life you probably view the albums a little bit differently yeah so, so higher we're in agreement on that yeah definitely at least one higher <laughs> no i think there's at least two higher in our, in our album so far i'm just trying and to maybe... make that a popular phrase that i can make money <laughs> off of at some point <laughs> and i think i think we found a way to throw a dig at highway 61 and pretty much every ever episode so that's how i'm gonna do it way we need to do an episode called highway 61 revisited revisited and oh, uh man. 
we'll, go back to it. We can do it right now because I have an opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're there's a certain phase, uh, maybe everyone experienced, maybe it was just me, but you're listening to music and there's like a cool aspect. Like I want to listen to that because it's cool, and yeah, this this other person listening to it and they're cool, so I want to I want to listen to that and be cool. And I think Bob Dylan had a big. That was a big thing for me. Uh, yeah, lots of my friends were listening to it and liking it, and maybe they were just listening to it because it was cool to like Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan yeah. was a big name. But then I stopped listening to it probably around the age of 20, and uh, I don't think I really paid it much attention until um, you guys I listened to the, those episodes. And then I went back and I tried to listen through it, and – I just couldn't get very far at all. It is, it is huh. painful for me to listen to. Uh, and at the time when I thought it was, when I was, you know, doing it to be cool somewhat, I, I actually got into it and uh, I really, I liked it, but, and there's still some songs I like, but huh. yeah. Maybe that's some music that's just for different seasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that this is definitely the best album named after car transportation so far. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we've, this is number three, right? We've got Highway 61, Exile on Main Street, and uh, and now Abbey Road. Uh, street street names, I guess I should say. That's a pretty and, high percentage uh, considering we're only at 14. We're only at 14. Yeah. Wow. Great observation. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones now. I I don't know if Boulevard of Broken Dreams is an album or just a song, but it's just a song. But that album does show up a lot later. Uh, I think that's uh, on American Idiot. Yeah, um, we've got some train transportation coming up with Blood on the Tracks and uh, and Springsteen's Born to Run is coming up here. So there's a couple of different transportation yeah. options. We love um, moving from place to place. <laughs> the American travel uh, does uh, does rubber soul count? Wanderlust. Oh, rubber oh, yeah. as in tires, not streets and, necessarily, but yeah, yeah, rubber as in tires and soul as yeah. in your feet. Yeah, yeah, or that is it a Kia Soul? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, we want to extend a very special thank you to Ryan for joining us. It's been great to have yes, you. Yes, thank you, Ryan. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again sometime. Yeah, if uh, if more Beatles albums come up. <laughs> well, we want to thank not only Ryan for coming, but thank you for listening to Sound Logic and joining us once again on this journey through the music. I, I, 14 albums in, I'm. it's been wonderful that people actually care and listen and and a couple of the people who listen to our show have even been on it. So it's, yeah. it's sweet. So thanks Ryan for being one of those people. And yeah, I think if it, if the, uh, if the numbers had just shown that there were only two listeners per week, we probably would have shut things down by now, but uh, the people listening are the ones keeping it going. So we thank you for that. What do we got coming up next time? Well, next time we're going to discuss album number 15 on Rolling Stone magazine's top 500 album list, which is, are you experienced by the Jimi Hendrix experience? Oh, man, I've got some thoughts about that one. Me too. Let's see if they coincide at all. <laughs> it should be fun. Well, that's us signing off. So 
We'll talk to you next time, Ben and Ryan. Thanks again. And we'll talk to all of you next time on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.